السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته. الحمد لله والصلاة والسلام على رسول الله. Brothers and sisters, today is lesson number 31 of the series. Last week I spoke halfway through the story of the slander of the Prophet's wife Aisha. So today I'm going to continue that and then go into the next event called the Treaty of Hudaybiyah, which I said, which uh, we can say it is the turning point of Islam. So now we'll continue the story of Aisha, followed by the Treaty of Hudaybiyah. <clears throat> Just to recap very quickly, we said last week that a group of hypocrites, the leader's name was Abdullah bin Ubayy ibn Saud. He was known to always stir up trouble among the Muslims. Any little issue that he can make to make people uh, doubt each other, be confused about each other, anything that can cause trouble, he would go out and try to stir things up. Now, he was a cunning man, this hypocrite. And when he wants to make a, a, a rumor or a, a, a false story, he's a smart person. He'll use a bit of truth, a little bit of truth, and then build on top of a, a whole story. And that way, when people want to manipulate you, people want to manip manipulate you, one of the most trickiest forms of lies that people can make is when they bring one or two little truths. Right? That if you were to say it to anyone, it's not big enough. They'll say, oh, well, you know, everyone goes through something like that. And then they'll add on top of it herbs and spices to make a beautiful recipe and a wonderful uh, you know, ingredient to the pot that will make people believe. Because if, they, if you can make them believe one or two things, then the rest of it becomes easier to convince them about. This is how the media works today when it wants to uh, you know, uh, bring someone up high or destroy someone or destroy a people or promote a people. This is a very commonly known way of manipulating the minds. The Muslims sometimes use it between each other. If they don't fear Allah, people use it against each other, right? For their own benefit, for example, whether they want a, a, a gain of money or the gain of property or they just plainly want to look right. Sometimes they may uh, use uh, arguments so that they can benefit in some other way. And this is wallahi, hypocrisy at its best, manipulation at its best. And the Prophet used to warn people from coming and bringing a few truths and then building a whole story around it to convince him that they have the right when they are really the oppressors. For example, he used to say, uh, among you are people who come to me, whether it be uh, two people arguing over property or land, or the, whether it's a husband and wife, whether it be children and their parents, whether it be anybody, they used to go to the Prophet ﷺ to judge between them, right? And then he used to say, be careful how you talk to me. Fear Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in how you present your argument to me. For I can only rule in accordance to what you tell me, and then I judge. I hear both sides very well, I ask questions, I cross-examine, and then, basically this is what he's saying, and then I say based on the information you, you bring to me. So some of you, he said, some of you may be more 
manipulative or more cunning or more artistic in the way they talk. There's a definition we give that. It's called verbal gymnastics. Verbal gymnastics, a play around with words. To convince the other person something other than the reality, other than the truth. So he said, some of you are more cunning in the way you talk. You are more eloquent than other people. And I may rule for you in the wrong. Rasulullah said, I may rule for you in your favor in the wrong. Huh? What I am really ruling for you, if this is what you're going to do to me, then you've only called upon yourself for me to cut out a piece of the fire so you can burn in it. You understand what I'm saying? Rasulullah said, if you convinced me with your lies, then I may rule in your favor, but be careful. Because you manipulated us, my ruling in your favor, don't think it's a favor at all. It's really a piece of fire that you're going to burn in the Day of Judgment. Because Allah says in the Quran, On the Day of Judgment, all the secrets of the chest, what you hide in here, shall be revealed. You can't lie on the Day of Judgment. So be careful, my brothers and sisters, of this. This hypocrite was the master of manipulation. He said that the wife of the Prophet ﷺ had committed some kind of sexual relations with that man called Safwan. Go to last week's talk and you will see what happened. I'm not, I don't have time to repeat the whole thing, so inshallah we'll continue from here. And then three people among the Sahabas, the companions of the Prophet ﷺ, also believed the statement and spread that rumor, unfortunately. It actually was a, were three righteous people. One of them had fought in the Battle of Badr. The other one was the sister of one of the Prophet's <coughs> wives, Zainab, her sister. And there was a third person named um, Hassan ibn Thabit, the great poet. Right? And poets, they are really good at making their poetry colorful and bringing drama. That's what poets do. So they accused Aisha of adultery. Now the Quran says that anyone who accuses a chaste person, a person who, actually not a chaste person, a person who accuses someone else of adultery and does not have four witnesses with them, or they are not four witnesses all up who have seen with their own eye the actual act of intercourse happening, not hugging, not kissing, not going out together, not drinking together, none of that stuff. Actual act of intercourse, four of them, and four of them are known to the community to be honest and trustworthy, if you don't have those four, then your accusation, even if it's true, will be considered a lie and you will be whipped 80, uh, 100 lashes in public. Just for making that rumor, even if it was true. If you don't have the four witnesses who saw with their eye the actual act and they have to be known to the community, honest, you can't just bring any stranger out, then the person who accused, even if they were telling the truth, doesn't fulfill the conditions, they get lashed, whipped in public, a hundred lashes. And this is to deter from spreading rumors about people and exposing people's uh, sins, even if it was true. Because Islam and the objective of Sharia is not to come and destroy people and destroy their reputation and punish them, right? But it is there to protect people's sins and giving them room to repent and become better people. That's the whole idea. Why? Because everybody does sins. Everybody can fall into haram. So, these three came up without four witnesses. 
No one sat with Aisha radiallahu anha to ask her. Nobody tried to investigate. But the whole rumor started to spread. And now tens of people to dozens, then they became uh, hundreds of people started to hear this news as the days went by. And the news came to the Prophet Now, you can imagine the Prophet is now being tested with his honor. Remember when I told you the Prophet when you study his seerah, his life, you'll see that he went through everything, man. He went through everything that we go through ourselves. So nobody can sit there saying, oh, you know, no one's ever felt this like me before. The Messenger of God has felt everything that he went through. Everything. You name it. Uh, he was an orphan. He was an orphan before he, he was born. And then his mother died and he witnessed her death before her eyes when he was six years old. He never forgot it. Even he was traumatized with it until he was 50-something years old. He cried at her grave, remembering her kindness. Rasulullah was tested with divorce, with marriage, with people talking about his honor, calling him a liar, a magician, and a crazy man. People bullying him. Torture. Uh, uh, physical pain, psychological pain, emotional pain, everything, my brothers, he was tested with everything you can think of. And now he is being tested with people accusing his own wife of adultery. Allahu Akbar. This is humongous. The Prophet ﷺ being a human being and being the messenger of Allah, for such an accusation he was expecting that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will reveal the truth about his wife, Aisha because he's the messenger of God. That's how it happened. So the Prophet ﷺ said last week that he got up and he said to the people, Look, I only know the best about my wives and I've never known anything like that about them. Why are people talking like that? And it almost caused a fight between the people, each one blaming the other person. Just blaming, everyone blaming, passing the buck on someone else. Hearsay, hearsay. And that's why the Prophet ﷺ told us, It is enough to be called a lie. It is, in fact, he didn't say that. He said, enough lying from a person when they speak about everything they hear, you know when you hear things from people and you don't investigate, you don't know if it's right or wrong, there's elements of truth, elements of false, and you go talking about it. Rasulullah said, you are lying. You are, you are doing the act of lying when you go out and just sort of spreading rumors and things that you hear or read about. You know, especially when it comes to people. Right? A mu'min doesn't do that. So, and he also said to Mu'adh radiallahu anhu, his companions, uh, hold on to this that you got to not talk too much about others and backbite and gossip and spread rumors. And he said, Ya Rasulullah, are we going to be judged with what our tongues say even? I mean, we haven't done anything. We haven't done anything. We just spoke. And he said, A statement the Arabs used to say, May your mother lose you. Is there anyone? You know, the main reasons people get thrown into hellfire on the day of judgment, one of the main reasons is because of what their tongues harvest. So be very careful, my brothers and sisters talking about the honor and blood of people. And sometimes, even if you know it's true, don't talk about it. Go and advise the person. Go and give them counseling. Only if they're about to harm someone and you know the truth, then go and warn. But if they're not going to harm anyone except themselves, you go and advise them. There's no need to expose them and tell people about it. Sometimes parents, they do that to their children. In the good intention, with a, a good intention of trying to set them straight. So they, ex they, they expose them or they humiliate them or embarrass them in front of their cousins or their aunties or their uncles or their friends. This is not good upbringing, my brothers and sisters. I advise you from that as a parent. We've all fell into it sometime, fallen into it um, here and there, but really it's not good upbringing. They'll resent you, they won't want to listen to you, they won't trust you, they'll start hiding things from you. And uh, brothers and sisters, you also have to help your parents trust you by telling them everything that you can, as much as you can, to get their trust, inshallah. Anything they need to know, share it with them and let them be your friends.
My brothers and sisters in Islam, Aisha radiallahu anha was accused falsely of adultery. The Prophet ﷺ then went to Aisha, his wife. She was sitting at her father and mother's house because he had become cold towards her. He was confused because all these people coming to him, telling him some stuff, and you know, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala hasn't revealed her innocence yet. So Rasulullah wanted to wait for Allah subhanahu wa to reveal this. So she went to her parents' house and he approached her one day. And uh, Rasulullah went to Ali عنه, his cousin, and he went to um, Ali عنه, and uh, two others from members of his family. I forgot their names, but they were from his family. And this is what happens when news goes out into the public, right? You try to address it in public and it causes more problems. So the best thing to do is keep it confined within the family. That's the best. The, 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 the least, the more confined you keep your problems to, to close family, or to, you know, if you can't keep it within four walls between you and your wife, or you and your children, and the news spreads out, try to confine it back into the family and tell everybody, stay out of it, stay out of it. Anyone who calls you, anyone who asks you questions about it, tell them, excuse me, this is not your business. I'm just here to ask how you are, and I thank you very much. Just, you know, please make dua, and I appreciate no one talks about it. And then you confine it, confine it very strictly to within the family as much as you can. My brothers and sisters in Islam, Rasulullah then asked his family members, What do you think, Ya Ali? What do you think, so and so? What do you think, so and so? And each one said, Ya Rasulullah, Allah, we don't know anything but truth about your, 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 your wives. We don't know anything bad about them. So don't worry about these people. As for Ali, he said, Ya Rasulullah, if she is not if she is guilty, then there are many women for you to marry. You know, who cares? If you if you find her guilty, there's many women. However, he said, I advise you to ask her best friend, they had a servant lady, ask her about Aisha <coughs> she's to hang out with her too, all the time, and see what she thinks. So he went to this lady and she said, Ya Rasulullah, Wallahi, I did not know, do not know anything bad about Aisha. And then Ali Adilayn said to her, Fear Allah, this is a moment of truth. We need to release all doubt. Say if everything you've ever known about Aisha of her faults. And this is not a bad thing. This is a good thing. Because the news has gone out, and this time you need to clear up the truth, black and white. And she said, The only thing I know about Aisha that I've ever seen that was, you know, um, that, that, that she, any mistake she's ever done in her life was basically once I told her look after the wheat and she got busy and then the goat ate the wheat or the, the barley, whatever she had. That's the only thing I know about Aisha. Everything else is perfect. So the Prophet ﷺ stayed silent, everyone stayed silent and then he went to the Aisha and said to her, Ya Aisha. The Prophet sat in front of Aisha and said, Ya Aisha, in kunti qad if you have done something minor, minor sins, then repent to Allah and tell Allah that you've done wrong. For Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala forgives those who admit to him their sins and ask him for forgiveness. Subhanallah. Rasulullah you know, it's, it's, it seems harsh. But look what he's saying. He's saying to her, Ya Aisha, if you have done something minor, repent to Allah. He's, he's not making it a huge deal to her. He's actually counseling her, telling her, look, go and repent. Fix yourself up. He's not saying, like what some men would say, you know, there's rumors like this and you are a dirty woman and if you are like this, I'm going to do this to you and I'm going to do that to you. No, no, no. He says, Ya Aisha, if you've done anything minor, something like that, repent to Allah, Allah will forgive you. You know, 
He's telling to repent, to fix herself, subhanAllah. But Aisha obviously is innocent. So she goes, I stopped crying. I looked at my father. My father didn't say anything. I looked at my mother. My mother wouldn't say anything. So I turned and I said, I will only say what Abu Yusuf said. Abu Yusuf is Yaqub, the father of Yusuf, the great prophet. When they took his son away from him in the story of Yusuf, remember that? And Yusuf, she says, I will say what Yaqub said, Abu Yusuf, I only complain my pain and my sorrow to Allah. And she turned away from the Prophet ﷺ, from her father, from her mother, and she just stayed, she couldn't sleep, she was just praying to Allah, crying to Allah until within about an hour to two hours, Rasul received a wahi. He received revelation from Jibreel, from Allah through Jibreel. In Surah An Nur, where Allah speaks about this occasion without mentioning Aisha's name. And in that surah, Allah mentions that those who spoke about the ifk. Ifk means, ifk means when somebody spreads a rumor and they know it's a lie. So that's double trouble. You know it's a lie, you haven't investigated it, and you start spreading it. Ifk is the worst type of spreading rumors. He said there are a group of people among them are those who are the hypocrites, who don't fear Allah. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks more and more. He says, and those, there were among those of your companions and the, and the Muslims who said, Oh Allah, we are innocent from these claims. We do not allow our tongues to say anything but the truth. Subhanallah, there are some groups that they said, Glory be to Allah. This is a terrible accusation. And they moved away. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, praises them and says Allah rewards them and Allah blesses them. And then he said that there were groups of people who said, which they knew was a lie and did not investigate. Perhaps Allah will forgive them. You see, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is not throwing um, warnings and threats to anybody. He's keeping the matter gentle. Why? Such an accusation can cause bloodshed throughout history, if you want. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gently looked after the matter by saying, look, those who spread these rumors, maybe Allah will forgive you. He's calling them to repent. And this was exposing the hypocrites anyway. So, when Rasulullah received this, he knew it was about Aisha radiallahu anha, and he said, Ya Aisha, and he was very happy. Amma Allah, faqad barrabaki. As for Allah, He has declared your innocence. And he recited those verses. Immediately, her father, Abu Bakr Siddiq and her mother, they called Aisha and said, Ya Aisha, qumi ila Rasulillah. Get up to the Messenger of God and go and hug him. Go and go to him. You know what she said? She said, La wallahi, I will not. I will not go to Rasulullah. The only one I will thank today is Allah. For He is the one declared my innocence. This is not to say that she didn't like Rasulullah She loved him with all her heart. But she is a woman of truth as well. The one you thank is who? Allah. If it wasn't for Allah, you will not be. Wallahi. And this is what the companions used to always say. Wallahi. Wallahi they used to always say this every time they did some work together. And in order to forget the pain and the tiredness, they used to make poetry together. 
Altogether, Muhajirin and Ansar needs to say, Wallahi lawla Allahi mahdalayna wa ma zakayna wa ma sallayna. They used to say, by God, if it wasn't for Allah, by Allah, if it wasn't for Allah, we would have never been guided. And if it wasn't for Allah, we would never be guided. Nor would we have learned the zakat and charity, nor would have we have ever prayed, فَغْفِرْ لِلْأَنصَارِ وَالْمُهَاجِرَةِ Oh Allah, forgive the Ansar and the Muhajirah. We all turn to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, my brothers and sisters, at the beginning and the end. And this also shows us that the Prophet of Allah وسلم, can do nothing if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not will it. Rasulullah himself can do nothing if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not will it. And since I mentioned this occasion, I'll say just one quick example as a reminder for all of us and as a lesson about watching our tongue and not spreading rumors. There were two groups of Muslims once who went out with the Prophet close to this time that I'm talking about. And they were on an expedition. And the Prophet took a group. And Abu Bakr and Umar took care of another group. And there was a cook with the Prophet and a cook with Abu Bakr and Umar. This cook right, did not prepare the meals and the Muslims were in a hurry. So Abu Bakr sends Umar and he goes, you know, they send someone, they go to see this cook, what had happened to him. And they found him asleep near the pot. All the people are hungry, the soldiers are hungry. Abu Bakr and Umar are standing there. They look at this cook who is sleeping. And one of them, we don't know who, we don't know if it was Abu Bakr or Umar, we don't know. The hadith Sahih Bukhari. And it says that one of them said to the other, one of them said to the other, look at him, he sleeps as if he's at home. Look at him, he sleeps as if he's at home. Send to the Prophet to see if he has any food left over because we're in a hurry now. The news came back to them that the Prophet ﷺ said to them, tell them that they have already eaten. They have already eaten. So they went to the Prophet ﷺ and said, Ya Rasulullah, we haven't eaten. What have we eaten? Have we eaten something we forgot? Prophet ﷺ said, you've eaten the flesh of your brother. You've eaten the flesh of your brother. The one who was sleeping, you back with him. Well, he doesn't know. You said something about him that he doesn't like for anyone to say about him in his absence. His absence means he was asleep behind his back. I can see the flesh between your teeth, metaphorically speaking. You know what they said to him? Ya Rasulullah, ask Allah to forgive us. And this is what the Prophet replied. He said, I can't. You go and ask your friend who you back with to ask Allah to forgive me. Even Rasulullah had no go here. They had to go to the person whom they had oppressed. So be careful, my brothers and sisters. Backbiting and gossiping is to say about your brother or sister something in their absence, which is the truth. It can be the truth. It can be the truth. But, which they do not like you to say in front of people. If it's not the truth, one Sahabi said, Ya Rasulullah, what if it's the truth? He said, that's what gossip is. And then, and then he said, if it's not true, then it's called ta'an. And ta'an means slander. It's even worse. It's what they did to Aisha. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent in Surah An-Nur these verses, they're about a page, all in relation to Aisha radiallahu anha's innocence. And one of the particular verses in that page, which I also want to give you as a reminder, please listen to it very carefully. This is something that can make or destroy our ummah, one of the biggest problems that we can fall into in relation to destroying our ummah and dividing us. And that is the ayah where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, إِنَّ الَّذِينَ يُحِبُّونَ
said, those who merely love, who merely like, who merely desire, who merely like it, that rumors of indecent acts of dirtiness, of indecent acts of sexual nature, be spread about the Muslims of this Ummah, they will have a torment, a torture in two worlds. This world, Allah will punish them, and in the hereafter will punish them again. And they will have no helpers. What is Allah talking about? He's not saying those who spread rumors. He's saying those who like it. They like hearing that stuff. They like spreading that stuff. They like that people talk about that stuff. They like it. They like a drama. They like the drama of spreading what? Fahisha. Fahisha in Arabic means sexual stuff. About believers. Even if it's true, my brothers and sisters in Islam. Even if it's true, you do not spread this stuff. Someone wants revenge of someone else. A husband wants revenge of his ex-wife. A wife wants revenge of her ex-husband. Children want revenge from their friends or their parents. And vice versa. Cousins from cousins. Friends from friends. A group from another group. An organization against another organization. They're all Muslims. They're all from the Ummah of the Prophet Instead of working together, some people want to spread this evil about the other people. Allah did not say those who do it. He said those who merely desire it. Like if you have a love for this, you enjoy it, you get a kick out of it. Allah says, these are the people who will be punished. Why? Because you're promoting it. You love it. You're not going to stop it. Even if you hear a spreading of a rumor, whether you know it's true or not true, on social media, and you click a like to it, like, you have taken part. Passive, uh, aggressive, or uh, bystanders are all part of the deal, my brothers and sisters. Allah did not praise those who were bystanders. He appraised those people who said, SubhanAllah, this is a clear accusation. We are innocent of this. They make a statement, we are innocent. We do not make this accusation. So, my brothers and sisters, I hope, inshallah, this quick lesson, quick lesson is beneficial to you all and to me and to you and all of us, inshallah. Next, my brothers and sisters in Islam, they gathered those three companions who had spread the rumor about Aisha they, they accused her. Now, the hypocrite, Ibn Salul, he didn't accuse Aisha of adultery. He just said, I don't think they're safe from each other. And that's not an accusation. That's causing doubt. And that's probably even worse. And that's left to Allah to punish him on the Day of Judgment. As for the, from a Sharia perspective, the penalty for somebody who accuses someone else without four witnesses who saw with their eyes is 100 lashes. And so three of them were actually whipped 100 lashes each in public. A woman and two Sahabas. Among the best of Sahabas, the best. And you know what? That woman and those two Sahabas, they appreciated that they were whipped. Why? Why were they appreciated, appreciated that they were whipped? Who can tell me? Why did they like it that they got whipped? Because they were safe from That's it. Because the adab, the punishment of Allah in the hereafter is worse. So they were happy because they knew once you get whipped, your penalty is done. According to the Sharia, you are forgiven. It's gone. And they paid for it. They don't have to keep feeling the guilt for the rest of their life. My brothers and sisters in Islam, then after that, an amazing thing happened. We all know that there's been battles and the, the, the Meccans, the Kuffar, against the Muslims all this time. They've been a threat. The Muslims can't live their life. And finally, the battle of the trenches was over. Then, the term, the Treaty of Hudaybiyah. Treaty means the agreement. What was it? Well, let's tell the story. 
Rasul وسلم, saw a dream. What did he see? A dream. In that dream he saw that he was going with his companions wearing the ihram. Do you know what the ihram is? What's the ihram? Yes, the white cornerstone stuff that men wear in Hajj or Umrah. Two pieces of cloths. They can't be sewn. And you can't have any other clothing on you other than these for the men. Not even, not even underwear. Yeah, not even underwear. That's what you have to do. But yeah, the towels are very strong. They don't fall off. Don't they? So they, he saw himself going to Umrah, wearing this ihram, which meant that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said that you are going to do Umrah. This was, the dreams of the prophets are real. So if Rasulullah saw that he's doing Umrah, it meant that he, was, he and his companions were going to do Umrah, no doubt. Alright? So he got his companions, 1,400 companions on that day. How many? 1,400. And one hypocrite was with them. They didn't know he was a hypocrite, one man. And the rest of them, all true Sahabis, from the Muhajirin and the Ansar. And he took with him sheep. They are the Uthiyah. Sheep are the Uthiyah. They got their weapons, but they didn't wear their weapons. They put their weapons on their camel, sheathed, meaning in their pockets. This was a normal thing for Arabs, that whenever you travel, you have to have some weapons with you in case beasts attack you or somebody attacks you. But the reason they put it in, the, on their, in their baggage on the camels was to show that they were not going to fight anyone. They were traveling in peace merely just to perform a pilgrimage of Umrah. To where? To Mecca. Mecca is still in hostility with them. Mecca is still wanting to kill them. They're still at war with them. There's no treaty between them. It's just that in the Battle of Khandaq, the Meccans had suffered a lot. And they were just waiting to regain themselves and when they go again. But the Prophet ﷺ said, Allah has informed me that they will not be able to attack us after today. So what happened? They went heading towards Mecca. The Muslims who were with him, they're all 100% convinced that they are going to go in with some kind of miracle. Allah is going to open the way for them. They're going to be at peace. They're going to do their whole Umrah and all those enemies are not going to touch them and then they're going to return. That's what they thought because the Prophet ﷺ saw the dream. They were going to be tested with their faith very soon. On their way, the Prophet ﷺ reached close to Mecca, a couple of kilometers out. And as they were about to enter, his camel, Al-Aswat, Prophet's camel, refused to go forward. He tried and tried, but the camel turned around. The Sahabas followed him, and he sat in a little area called Hudaybiyah. Little hill called Hudaybiyah. The Sahabas looked and said, Ya Rasulullah, this animal has become stubborn. It must, you know, it must, it's, it's, it, the shaitan must have done something to it. So the Prophet ﷺ said, never. She is commanded. She goes in the will of Allah. Remember, it's the same camel that chose 
the house of the Prophet in Masjid. He said, no, 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 my camel is guided by Allah. This cannot be a mistake. Even the Prophet was a bit shocked. Like I thought, what's going on here? But this shock was not like a doubt. This was more like interesting. Allah has something in store for us. We can't enter. Let's see what happens. Now doubts upon doubts start to come into the, creep into the minds of some of the, the companions. Questions, questions. Not doubting the faith, but questions. What's going on? Test the faith. As they were sitting there, they're not moving. They're not entering and they're not moving. The Meccans found out. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala kept them there so that news can get around in Mecca. Everybody starts talking. What do they want? Have they come to kill us? Have they come to take over Mecca? That's what they're naturally going to think. So then they sent 80 soldiers. They said, go and kill them before they kill us. So they sent 80 of their warriors. They went all the way to Hudaybiyah, where they were camped. But obviously the Prophet is ready and prepared. He's got his soldiers, guards outside. And instead of the 80 soldiers killing them, the Muslimin surrounded them and they captured them. Not one person was killed. Why? Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has sent them on a mission of peace. And no one was going to be killed. Allah did send the verse in the Quran. In fact, I'll tell you which surah is dedicated to Surah Al-Hudaybiyah. The verse, the surah is called Surah Al-Fatih. Surah Al-Fatih. Dedicated to the entire story of the Treaty of Hudaybiyah. Allah said, وَلَقَدْ كَفَّ أَيْدِيَهُمْ عَنْكُمْ Allah saved you from their hands, from them attacking you. And He also saved them from your hands. Meaning, Allah did not let any bloodshed happen between either side. Allah kept the peace. Up to this point, the, the surah has not been revealed yet. So what do you think the Sahabas are thinking? They're thinking, what's going on here? Like, we took up arms, but no bloodshed. We're entering the Umrah, and the Prophet saw the dream, but we're not entering it. We're sitting here like sitting ducks. What's going on? The shaitan started to play with some of their heads. So then the Rasul instead of taking these 80 soldiers as captives, what did he do to them? He returned them back. Amazing. This has never happened before. Peace upon peace. The Muslims have the upper power. They could have taken them, killed them, taken them as hostages, captives, as ransom, whatever. But the Prophet returned them. What else is happening here? Meccans were a bit confused themselves. They thought, you're not fighting us, you just returned our soldiers and you had the upper hand. We better find out what's going on here. So they started to send representatives, people, to talk on behalf of Mecca. They sent the first guy by the name of Budayi. Budayi is not one of the Meccan tribes, but he's an ally. So he went to the Prophet ﷺ and he said to him, Muhammad, what are you here for? I mean, I see that you've got your weapons on the backs of your camel. So you're not fighting. But at the same time, you're not entering and you're just staying here. What do you want? Have you come to fight us? Have you come to place siege on us? So the Prophet ﷺ said to him the following. Ya Budai, have your people not suffered already too much from the battle of Khandaq? Aren't they tired from that? He said, yes. He said, we have come in peace. Only to do our umrah. And slaughter our Udhiyah, our Qurban. And we, and we offer you peace. If you allow us to come in, we will go in, do our Umrah and exit. Nobody will be harmed. And if you don't like us to be in your presence, 
then you can leave for a couple of days. We'll do our umrah if you're afraid, and then we'll exit and you come back in. But if they want to fight us, and that's the only way, the Prophet said, then he said, By God, I will not move until Allah decides the fate between us. That's it. So, going to Umrah is a common custom. Anybody, if the Meccans refuse anyone from doing their Umrah, all the Arab tribes turn against the Meccans. You have no right to prevent anybody from doing Umrah. You cannot prevent pilgrims. They come in peace. They don't need mean harm. So the Meccans are now afraid. They're thinking, we don't want this news to get out to think that we are preventing people from doing Umrah. Wallahi, the Arabs and the tribes will go against us. It's a custom of the, of the Arabs. So they sent another negotiation. They sent another guy to them. Now, Budayl, this guy, he comes back and he says to them, Ya Ahla Quraysh, leave him alone. Wallahi, I don't know except that he's coming peace. This is what he's saying. They go, no, no, we're not convinced. So they sent another guy by the name of Urwa. Urwa radiyallahu I say radiyallahu because he became a Muslim later on. But at this point, he wasn't a Muslim yet. And Urwa was related to Mecca. He comes up to the Prophet and says to him, Let me reason with you, Ya Muhammad. Let's negotiate a little bit. He says, What are you here for? And the Prophet said to him, Exactly the same thing he said to the other guy. We come in peace, we've come to do Umrah, we don't mean anyone harm. If you want, you leave us a day and then you come back and we'll go out. Nothing happens. But if you want to fight us, we'll fight. So Hurwa, he turns to the Prophet it's as if he didn't hear what the Prophet said. He turned a deaf ear. And that's the case of somebody who wants evil. If you go out, somebody goes out with the only goal of causing evil and causing trouble, they don't care what you say. There's nothing you can say to them. If they want trouble, they want trouble. They'll try and manipulate and twist around anything you say. It's like you're talking to a brick wall. So he said to him, O Muhammad, I'm looking around you and all I see is people I don't know. Who are these people? Who are these Ansar people? And he had some other people from different Arab tribes. He goes, who are they? They're nobody. Always talking from a a Jahili perspective, from a perspective of the Arabs know. He's not thinking from an Islamic perspective. He doesn't know that what unites them is Islam. They've never known this before. They don't know that there's brotherhood in Islam. All they know is, if you're not from a tribe, you're a nobody. You're not from our tribe. Who are you? You don't belong to a tribe. So he's fighting sort of more like a patriotic, tribalistic, nationalistic. Right? He said, I don't know these people. You're coming in and if you fight and kill us, what have you done? You kill us, you're cutting the kinship of ties. You're only here bringing uh, division between the people. In purifying the sanctuary of Mecca. So the man accused the Prophet ﷺ of coming to kill his people in purifying the sanctuary of Mecca and cutting kinship. So the Prophet ﷺ repeated, he said, Wallahi, I have not been sent to cut off the kinship, but to connect them. And I have not come to fight, but to create peace. And Mecca is honored. We have not come to impurify, but to purify. But then again, you're talking to a brick wall. The guy doesn't want this. He's come to make trouble. He wants them to return. Don't come. I don't want to hear anything about it. 
So he, it's as if he didn't hear him again. He says, see these people that are around you, Ya Muhammad? We don't know them. So what do you expect them they're going to do? As soon as, if Meccans, if the Meccans beat you, if you go into a fight with us and we beat you, these people are going to abandon you. Your companions, your so-called companions, you're thinking that they're going to help you, they're going to abandon you. Now as soon as he said that statement, one of the most softest and kindest companions of the Prophet ﷺ suddenly transformed from this sweet, kind, soft person within about two seconds from zero to a hundred. And he said something in reply to Urwa that was so vile and vulgar and so offensive to him that you would have never ever ever thought that it was him who would ever say something. Abu Bakr al-Siddiq He was always known for his softness. As soon as Urwa said, these people are going to abandon you when it's going gets tough. Abu Bakr was so, so enraged, which tells you a little bit about his character. He was always a soft, normal person, but there were times where he would just, bang, he would click for the truth part. It has to be the truth. And he would just skyrocket to the absolute 100 degrees. And what happened? He said to him a vile, like I don't know if I can say it here in the masjid, you want me to say it? You're going to say it. Why do you want me to say it? You want me to swear? You just want me to swear. So he swore at him. You know, he, he talked, I'll just tell you this one. That guy who came to Marwa, they worship a goddess, a statue, a female god they call her. And at the same time, they mistreat females. Like they bury their daughters alive because she's meant to be a... Uh, she can bring shame upon the family if another tribe attacks them and takes them and I don't know what. Yet they have a goddess who they call the female god by the name of Alat. Alat. The Meccans had Uzza and other tribes who belonged to Mecca, they had another god called Alat. They were the two biggest gods. Uzza is the male one, Alat is the female one. So he swore at his goddess and he says, go and do such and such of a sexual act with your goddess, with her private parts. But, but he obviously he said it in more just blunt, plain, black and white. <laughs> so the, the guy, Urwa, looks at him. This is the most offensive thing. And although Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala forbid us from swearing at other people's religion, this is a standard. La tasubbu dinam fa yasubbuna dinakum. The ayah, uh, I forgot how it is, but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, do not swear at their religion because then it will cause them to swear at yours out of ignorance and depression. But in this situation, it was justified. There was war, there's battle. And this tells us that in the fiqh, in our Islam, when it comes to war and jihad and there's enemies against you and all that stuff, then you can use anything you like in order to cause humiliation to the enemy, uh, uh, um, break their morale, even if it means words or whatever. Okay? So we said that about his goddess. And Urwa turns to him, he would have replied to him, but he said, who, who said this word? And, and they said, it's Ibn Abu Quhafa. The son of Abu Quhafa, and he said, Yabna Abu Quhafa, if it wasn't that in our past you did me a favor, I would have today responded to you in the same way. And that was the Arab custom that they never forget a favor someone had done to them, Muslim or non Muslim, right? Even till today, some Arabs claim to be of that chivalry, but they're not, they just try to be some of them. A favor in the past is your glory, you can't, you have to remember it forever, otherwise, you're a nobody in the Arab tradition. So, what happened? Urwa then turns to the Prophet 
And he starts to tell him, this is our offer. You've got to return. You've got to return. Um, Rasul sallallahu saw straight through the manipulation of Urwa. Suddenly as they were trying to talk, the Salat of Dhuhr came about. And Bilal stood up and made the Adhan. The Prophet said, I'm going to pray. He ignored him. And suddenly Urwa, before his eyes, he saw the Muslims, these companions, who were full of rage and, and might and, and chivalry. And they started to pray in a mind, in absolute quietness, in absolute silence, behind this man, Muhammad But before they even prayed, he saw something amazing. He saw the Prophet making wudu, rinsing his mouth and spitting the water out, rinsing his nose and blowing the, the you know the, the the mucus out, putting the water on his arms. And what's happening to the mucus and the saliva and the water? It's falling on the floor, right? Urwa says, I looked and I saw the companions racing each other to catch the water, catch the saliva, catch the mucus, and rub it on themselves. Rasulullah's saliva is perfume. His mucus is the most purest of pure. It's like water. They did it out of blessings. And that's how also, even his sweat smelled like, like musk, his wives used to say. Urwa is seeing this unbelievable thing. He's never seen something like this. This is bizarre, man. This is like out of this world. Are these humans or aliens? He thought to himself. And then they line up behind the Prophet. Rasulullah would just look up. He would just look up. And the Sahabas would understand he wants something. And without him speaking, they would obey it. When they spoke to him, they put their heads down. They can't look at his face. Urwa at that time wasn't Muslim yet. He's looking at all this before his eyes. From saying these people will abandon you to looking at this shock in front of him. After they finished their salat, the Prophet came back and said, Now, Urwa, what are we going to negotiate? What are we, what's, what's the final thing? It was known to the custom of the Arabs that when two leaders meet, you touch each other's beards. It's a form of dominance. In this day and age, it's like saying when you shake someone's hand, you put your hand over his hand like that. It's show of dominance. You put it under, show of inferiority. When you put it the same, it's show of mutuality. So when you touch the, each other's beards, it means dominance. I've got the upper hand. So Urwa kept on touching the Prophet's beard. As he was touching his beard, there was a well-armed guard covering his entire face, his entire body. Tall, strong, young man. You couldn't see his face, so Urwa didn't know who it was. He was standing with the personal guard of the Prophet on his journey. And he was holding a sword with him. Urwa put his hand on, on the Prophet's beard the first time, and suddenly he sees a sword tapping his hand. Second time, tapped it hard. A third time, he tapped it even harder. And the voice said to him, If you touch the Prophet's beard one more time, I am going to detach your arm from your body. Urwa looks at this young man and says, Who's this? And the Prophet ﷺ laughed. Why? He said, he is your nephew. He was truly his nephew. He had embraced Islam, his brother's son. And subhanAllah, Urwa was looking at this thinking, you, his name was uh, Al-Mughira. There's a great story about Al-Mughira. He goes, you're doing this to your uncle. And I'm the one who saved you out of that trouble that you put us in in the past. He's talking about something that happened in the past with Al-Mughira. He made trouble with some other tribe. He had accidentally killed, he killed one, one of them. And then they had to pay him blood money. Otherwise, a big war was going to happen. And this uncle actually paid to stop the trouble. He goes, you do this to your uncle after I, I took you out of a big problem you would have caused us in the past. And he replied to him by saying, this is the messenger of Allah. 
This is beyond you, beyond me, beyond anything you've ever talked about. You touch it, that last bond, you're going to lose it. And that's when Allah understood that, hold on a minute, there's this religion and this prophet was brought, you know, if it's true, a message from the heavens, then it would make sense why Islam is even greater than the blood relations. If it meant attacking Islam, attacking the Prophet Allah was very shocked about this. He just decided, he said, listen, I'm going to go back and talk to my people. He left and went back to the Meccans. And this is what he said. He said, Ya Ma'ashara Quraysh, come here. They said, what's the news? He said, O people, I have been to Persia and I've seen the Persian king and his people. I have been to the Roman emperors, Caesar, and I've seen him and his people. And I've been to the Abyssinian kings. And I've seen the Ethiopians, kings and their people. He said, by Allah, I have never seen any people show so much respect and loyalty to any leader in the entire world in my life as these companions show their Prophet Muhammad. If he spoke, they were absolutely silent. He would just look and they would obey. If they spoke to him, they would look down. If he spat, they would race to catch his spit. If he was making ablution wudu, they would race to catch the water and wipe it on themselves. My advice to you, leave them. They truly have come in peace just to do it. Let them do it and move away. They said to him, wow, out of all people, we come to you as our support, and this is what you say to us? No, 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 this is not going to work. And so what happened? The people started to split. And this is always what happens, guys. In any group, you find the people who are wise and intelligent, educated, and then you find among their groups, the safi, the ignorant, the, the bogan, you know, those types of people. They're the people who have got loud mouths. They're just loud. And when they speak, they don't make any sense. You don't know what they're saying. You say something that has substance, and their reply is always, just, what do you say? Just attacking and abusing. And Normally you find them on social media. They write in capital letters. As soon as someone writes in capital letters, know that they are just full of anger, they've got problems, they've got issues. Just, why are you typing capital letters? You're shouting at them. So when an intelligent person speaks, they talk with reason. Capital letters. Anyway, this guy, what does he do? <coughs> he says to them, leave him. And these ignorant fools, they go, no, we will not surrender. This is the Arab thing, right? And still till today we find some of these ignorant Arabs. Over my dead body, my name is so-and-so, the son of so-and-so. I will not give in. Even if it's wrong, even if it's wrong. And that's the mentality that they have. I am with my people, right or wrong. Sometimes we have a... a schools. Sometimes we have some, I'll talk about my own people, our Lebanese community. And sometimes we have a young kid gets into a fight with another kid. Next day, he's brought all his 50 cousins to the school to bash up this one little kid. Like seriously. And all his cousins, they go and bash up. He's got my cousin, my little come. Seriously, where are you going to bash up? Don't you know whose fault is? I don't care, he's my brother, he's my, he's my cousin, he's my, the friend of my, cousin of my cousin of mine. Doesn't matter, all the reason to go and fight. Seriously, guys, don't ever be one of them. 
Alright? Rasulullah said, help your brother if he's in the right or the wrong. They said, alright, we know how to help him in the right. How do we help him in the wrong? He says, by stopping him from doing his wrong. If you love him, stop him. No, no, I will die with you, bro. On the day of judgment, we both get judged by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It's your fault. No, it's your fault. But seriously, man. God, those of us who do that. Alhamdulillah, we don't see it among the majority of our community. We see it sometimes. My brothers and sisters in Islam, this group was about 40. They go out, they want to attack the Prophet They will not die. Uh, they, they will not give in. So as they went to the Prophet what happened to them? They captured them again. And this is what happens to this Sufaha. You see them on YouTube. You see some, some, you know, some ignorant, arrogant person swearing, swearing, swearing. Someone comes and knocks him out. And then he doesn't know where he's going. This is what happens to these people. So he comes up. They come up, 40 people. The Muslims get him. They go, oh, please let us go, let us go. So the Prophet let them go out of goodwill. And that is the highest form of, 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 of honor that a Muslim should have. And what is it? Rasulullah said, the mu'min is merciful. When he is able, when he has the strength, the, 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 when he has the dominance over someone, he gives mercy. When you have the dominance over someone, you give mercy. You're fighting with someone, he ends up on the ground. You don't keep kicking him in his head. Right? You give him mercy. And you try to stop the war. You try to stop the battles. We give mercy when people are down. We don't bully the weak. No, we don't bully the weak. And that is the worst of people are people who bully the weak. Because they're cowards themselves. So a Muslim is not like that. It's also our son. Let them go. All this was a symbol of peace. So the Prophet ﷺ, he thought, okay, this is, this is not going well. We're going to send a representative from us to go and speak to Quraysh. So the Rasul approached Umar and said, Ya Umar, how about you go on our behalf and try to negotiate with them? You know, you used to be among them, they used to respect you. Umar replied by saying, Ya Rasulullah, if you want me, I will go. But me, then I'm the last person they're going to listen to. So I suggest Uthman ibn Affan, he's kind, he's compassionate, they still like him, they still have a, a soft spot for him. Umar al-Khattab did not disobey the Prophet but in this circumstance, it's allowed that even with the Messenger to give him a better suggestion. So long as it's not wahi from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then you are allowed. These are tactics. And a person's allowed to do that. So, you know, when you're, you have a leader or you have somebody who you respect, there's nothing wrong, your father or your mother or anybody, to suggest other avenues. And it's not a disrespect. So the Prophet chose Uthman of and he said, You go and be our representative to talk. When he went in, he was supposed to come out in a few hours. He was delayed. The Meccans caught him and they wouldn't let him leave. So the Prophet ﷺ assumed that they had killed him. That's when the Prophet ﷺ lost it. He got all his companions and he went to a tree nearby, an acacia tree. And he sat underneath it. He put his, uh, he put his right hand out and he said, Who will pledge allegiance with me to fight to death? They took him. They took off man. They killed him. Most likely, fight to death. And every single one of those companions came to that tree. 1,400 companions. Each one of them placing their, sometimes five hands or ten hands on top of each other. Pledging allegiance. We will fight till death, Ya Rasulullah. 1,400 companions came under that tree. Except for one man who was a hypocrite. The Prophet saw him walking behind the camels. He said, I see him walking behind the camels. Don't worry about it. That's when Allah sent down the verse of the Qur'an. Later on a little bit, He said, 
acknowledging those companions who pledged allegiance under the tree. A very famous thing that happened, Allah mentioned in the Quran. He said, Allah said, Allah has bestowed his complete pleasure, unconditional pleasure, upon those who pledged allegiance with you under the tree. Allah pledged, sent his pleasure upon them. So they are now elites. We still mention them till today. That's why we say, Allahumma we say, means the people of the Acacia tree who pledged allegiance to the Prophet. My brothers and sisters in Islam, these were the best of the companions that the Prophet has that we recite till today in Surah Al Fatih. And as for Uthman, he could have pledged allegiance. So what happened? The Prophet used his hand placed it on his own hand saying, and my hand is on behalf of Uthman ibn Affan All the 1,400 companions said, oh, every one of us wished that we were in Uthman's place and that the Prophet's hand would have represented me. Every one of them wished for that day and that makes Uthman have a special place in the heart or a special place in the minds and hearts of the Muslim people. My brothers and sisters in Islam, as the Prophet ﷺ prepared himself to go in to fight, the Quraysh heard about this and they thought, man, this is getting too serious. They're scared. So they said, wait, let's send our only delegate who is the best eloquent person. His name was Suhail ibn Amr. Suhail ibn Amr also became a Muslim later on. But at this point, he's an enemy. So he comes out to the Prophet ﷺ. He is the foreign ambassador. He says, Ya Muhammad, Ya Muhammad. Uthman is alive, but I've come to negotiate with you. The Prophet ﷺ saw Suhail, and the Prophet, peace be upon him, is very smart. He knows his enemies well. He knows all the people around him. This is what makes a person a good leader, to know and study the personalities of the people around you. So as Suhail was coming along, the Prophet ﷺ said, It is Suhail, son of Allah alaykum. Suhail means easy going in the Arabic language. He says, Suhail, Allah is going to make the affair easy upon you. He knows Suhail is a man that can negotiate. He's got some softness in his heart. So Suhail comes along and he said, I'm here to negotiate. Look, what are we going to do? We're stuck. We have to give and take. We have to compromise. So we sat with the Prophet ﷺ under the tent. Ali was the person who sat with the Prophet ﷺ to write the negotiation that had happened between the Prophet ﷺ and Suhail, the representative of Makkah. Abu Bakr was there, Umar was there. There were other companions who were there to witness this negotiation. And this is the one which is called the Treaty of Hudaybiyah. What happened? They back and forth, back and forth. They said, okay, we'll agree on this. Ya, ya Muhammad, we can't let you come in now this year to do Umrah. Because then all the Arab tribes will think that you have the upper hand. We don't want them to think that we are below you. So give us that. But you can come next year to do your Umrah. The Prophet ﷺ said, okay, I agree. Then he said, what about that we negotiate 10 years, 10 years of a peace treaty between us. Neither of us will attack or harm the other 
anyone who is our ally, you can't attack them. And anyone who is your ally, we cannot attack them. If you attack an ally of ours, it's an attack on us. And if we attack an ally of yours, even one man or one woman, it'll be an attack on you and the treaty is off. The Prophet ﷺ agreed. This is the main part of the agreement which the Prophet ﷺ loved. Ten years of peace between the two. They can go and come. They can trade with each other. All of that. They can travel. No more harm. Peace. And the Muslims can give da'wah and teach Islam. Prophet ﷺ said, I agree. But then Suhail said, ah, ah, ah. But on condition. Anyone who embraces this, anyone who wants to leave Islam, who wants to apostate from your people, you have to let them come back to us. We have to take them back. But anyone who leaves us and embraces Islam, you're not allowed to take him. You have to return him back to us. The Prophet ﷺ looks at him. The companions didn't like this. What's this treachery? The Prophet ﷺ said, agreed. And the Sahaba started to make noise like, they're not happy with this. What do you mean? Why? Why? The Prophet ﷺ said, let's write this agreement. So then he said to Ali radiallahu anhu, Ya Ali, write the following. Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim. In the name of Allah, the most merciful, the most compassionate. He wrote it, and then Suhail said, Ah, I don't agree to that. We don't know a God by the name of Ar-Rahman. Who's this Ar-Rahman? Allah said in the Quran, and when it was said to them, Bow to the Rahman, Qalu wa Ar-Rahman. They said, Who is Ar-Rahman? Get it out. Strike it out. I don't agree. So the Prophet looks at Ali radiallahu anhu, says, Wipe it off. Ali radiallahu anhu says, Ya Rasulullah, wipe off Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim, Allah's name. He says, yes, Ya Ali, wipe it off. Ya Rasulullah, Allah's name. Yes, wipe it off. And Ali radiallahu anhu refused to wipe it off. The Prophet then, because he doesn't want to make it difficult, you know, the Prophet keeps commanding Allah and they send a punishment on a person. So instead of doing that, the Prophet ﷺ with leniency said, Ya Ali, show me where it is. Because the Prophet ﷺ couldn't read and write. He goes, show me where the Rahman Rahman is. He goes, here they are in the Surah. So the Prophet ﷺ grabbed the pen and he erased it. Then he said, this is an agreement between Suhail ibn Amr and Muhammad, the Messenger of Allah. Suhail goes, ah, if I acknowledged you as a Messenger of God, I wouldn't have fought you. Take it out. Ya Ali, strike it out. No problem. Prophet said, strike it out. Put Muhammad ibn Abdullah. Muhammad, the son of Abdullah. He is Muhammad, the son of Abdullah. Ali ibn Abdullah, Ya Rasulullah. How can you accept this? You are the messenger of Allah. You strike it out. Prophet said, show me where it is. He showed him and he struck it out with his hands. At this point, the, the, the Sahabas, they started to feel very uncomfortable. They were very angry at this treaty. They thought we've been stepped on, we've been done over, we have the power. You know, we're supposed to do Umrah this year. The Prophet saw the dream, but we're not going in anymore. What's going on? Test of faith. Just before they wrote the rest of the agreement, a Sahabi by the name of Abu Jandal came from Mecca. He embraced Islam and says, Ya Rasulullah, I'm a Muslim. Suhail looks at him and recognizes, recognizes that it's his son. It's Suhail's son, Abu Jandal. He turns to the Prophet and says, Ah, we agree. You return him. The Prophet looks and Umar looks at him and says, Ya Rasulullah, Umar, we haven't written the agreement yet. And Suhail said, 
there is no agreement between us if you don't send back my son. The Prophet said, no worries. Write it. Go back out, Abu Jandal. Abu Jandal doesn't know what's going on. He goes, what? Ya Rasulullah, don't torture me, don't kill me. They make me become a kafir if you send me with them. They make me become a kafir if you send me with them. The companions are with him. So the Prophet said to Suhail, Ya Suhail, give him to me. He said, no. He said, please. This is the first time in the history of the Prophet's biography that we hear the Prophet almost like he's almost begging. He wasn't begging, but he was he was he was pleading. Astaghfirullah, not begging, he was pleading to Suhail to give him. Give him to me, please. And Suhail said, no. So then the Prophet looked at Abu Jandal and said to him, Ya Abu Jandal, be patient. For Wallahi, Allah will give you a way out soon and whoever follows you. Ya Rasulullah, Ya Rasulullah. And the Prophet said, believers stick to their agreements, to their contract. Unless one of them breaks the contract, then you can break everything. So if, 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 if he or they break one of the terms of the contract, the, the deal is off. Abu Jandal goes back. SubhanAllah. So they write the whole deal. The Prophet seals it with his ring, Muhammad Rasulullah, and Suhail walks away. Ten years of peace. Umar radiallahu looks at the Prophet All the companions, most of them, they started to be uneasy in their hearts about this. What's going on? Not happy. Umar knowing him, he's very vocal. He comes up and says, Ya Rasulullah, are you not the messenger of God? He said, yes I am. He says, are we not on the truth? He says, yes we are. Are they not the enemy in the kuffar? He goes, yes. He goes, don't we enter paradise if we die? He said, yes. He said, then how can you accept? How can you accept this daniya? Daniya means this... Uh, to be, to be feeble. To be feeble under them. And the Prophet ﷺ replied, Ya Umar, Wallahi Allah is with us. And He will support me and give me victory. And He will not let me lose. That's all He said. Umar radiallahu he, he went quiet. He was, he was saying words that were probably not, not good at that time. He went quiet and he walked away. Then he sees Abu Bakr radiallahu Umar was not happy about this. Still... He says to Abu Bakr, Ya Abu Bakr, are we not, is he not the messenger of God? Abu Bakr said, yes he is. Exactly as the Prophet replied. Abu Bakr replied the same words. Are we not this? He says, yes we are. Are they not that? He says, yes we are. He says, then how can we accept to be feeble like this? And Abu Bakr replied and said, Ya Rajul. He just added that word, Ya Rajul, is a statement that the Arab used when you're kind of rebuking someone. In Lebanese we say, La. In Turkish they say, La. And in Somalian they say, He said, He is the messenger of Allah. And Allah will not leave him. Wallahi, He will give him victory and not make him lose. Exactly the same words as the Prophet said. And this was an indication that whenever the Prophet said something, you would often find that the Abu Bakr his words always correspond almost identically with the Prophet's words, which means Abu Bakr was the closest in intelligence and wisdom to the Prophet. Umar walks away and he's not happy. He, he said it outright. Like after that he said, says, I have never felt unease about something until today after embracing Islam. So 
So after that, the Prophet he stood up to his companions and said, which means take your ihram, like cut your hair and slaughter your udhiyah. And not one of the companions obeyed. None of them did it. The Prophet raised his voice. Slaughter your udhiyah, cut your hair. No one moved. The Prophet became scared. What did he become scared about? That Allah will send down a punishment on his companions. So he left them alone and walked back in. Where did he go to? In his tent. And with him was one of his wives. His, her name was Ummu Salama. Ummu Salama. Ummu Salama, remember he married her. She was older and wiser. And this is interesting. Ummu Salama sees the Prophet really concerned. She says to him, What you also Allah? He said, I commanded them, none of them obeyed. I fear the punishment of Allah upon them. And Umm Salama says to him, Ya Rasulullah, listen, don't worry. You go out. You slaughter your, your udhiyah and you shave your hair and leave the rest up to them. Prophet took his wife's advice. Who says that women are not intelligent enough? This is Rasulullah proving it. A wise woman who fears Allah told the Prophet a better option. So the Prophet listened. He didn't say, what do you want, woman? You don't know anything. He went out. He slaughtered his udhiyah and shaved his head. As soon as the companions saw him do that, they felt guilty. So then they slaughtered their sheep and each one started to shave the hair of another. The hadith says that they shaved each other's hair with anger to the point where some of them actually they cut some of their <laughs> other heads. And some of them they cut, they didn't shave. So they said, Ya Rasulullah those of us who shave, those of us who cut. Rasulullah said, May Allah have mercy and blessing upon those who shave. Then they said, What about those who cut Ya Rasulullah? And he repeated, May Allah have mercy upon those who shave. Then they said, Ya Rasulullah, what about those who cut? But may Allah have mercy upon those who shave their, ears, their, their hair off in, in Hajar. And they said, okay, well, is cutting acceptable? He said, cutting and the ones who cut. Acceptable. So when you go to Hajj Umrah, the Sunnah, and the Prophet reach you only if you shave your hair. It's actually not, it's disliked for anyone to shave their hair if you're not on Umrah or Hajj. Like now, you want to shave it off with the razor, it's disliked. Makruh. Not haram, but makruh. And so the Prophet ﷺ picked up and he said, let's go back to Medina. Now, I mean, we didn't do Umrah. Umrah comes up and says, Ya Rasulullah, didn't you promise? You saw the dream that we're going to do Umrah. And the Prophet ﷺ replied, said, yes. And the promise is still there. Did I tell you when? Not this year, next year. We'll do the Umrah. When Allah Allah will do what He promised. Umrah is not happy. On their way to Medina, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent down the entire Surah Al-Fatih, which begins with, Allah said, We have truly opened for you a clear opening of victory. What was the clear opening of victory? The Treaty of Hudaybiyah. What was the victory? It was Muslims are now recognized as an Islamic state. 
Muslims were now for the first time recognized as an independent, powerful entity. The open da'wah now, which they have never had before, now people will embrace Islam in the hundreds, in the thousands, in the tens of thousands. This is all the Prophet ever wanted. Now there was open trade. Now the hostility had been broken. And now the message will return to the purpose the messenger was sent, and that is da'wah. All these battles and all these fighting was for what? To stop the war so that what? So that the Muslims can teach Islam. So the Prophet ﷺ can call the people and invite them to Islam. That's the purpose of Islam, my dear brothers and sisters. That's the objective of every Muslim. To teach Islam in peace and harmony. Rasulullah said, As a matter of fact, I have been sent to perfect the character and good virtues and morals of people. Not war and fighting. So that's why the Prophet immediately accepted, even if it meant that the agreement looked like the Muslims were being stepped on. But they weren't. Allah sent the verse saying, we have opened you a clear victory. It established for the Quraysh their priority of their tribe. And established for the Muslims their priority of Islam. It brought alliances with other Arab tribes. It opened the door to reach out to non-Muslims and empires outside of Arabia. As Allah says in the Quran, we have not sent you, O Muhammad, for any other purpose except as a mercy to mankind. And this is now being established. Now, before I move on, Akhi Jamal, is Akhi Jamal here? No. We had a speaker here who was coming to talk about a project, about rehabilitation. Is he here? Pointing that way. I don't know about the English. Call him. Call him. He's over there. Let him come here. Tayyip. Anyway, I'm waiting for him, inshallah. <coughs> anyway, the Prophet ﷺ went to Umar anhu and he immediately told him about the verses of the Quran. And he said, See ya Umar. And Umar anhu said, After that day, I went and I fasted for a whole year and I started to donate and free slaves so that Allah can forgive me for that discomfort which I had and the words that I said. Is he here? Twenty second? Oh, it's my fault. I did have it, it's on the twenty second. My fault everyone. The speaker is on the twenty second coming here to talk about it. Next week, inshallah ta'ala, we will continue and see what happens next. Something really, really interesting and quite nice for you to, to learn about, inshallah ta'ala.